want to. Okay, if everyone will come in and be seated, please. Good morning. Let's stand up and sing this beautiful song which says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That is where our attention should be on him and his kingdom, and he will bless us abundantly every day. Let's sing it with all our hearts. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Oh, soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior, and life for abundant and free. Turn seated. What a wonderful opportunity we have to be here today. We welcome you to the San Ramon Valley Bible Church. Another Sunday, another Lord's Day, and we have the privilege this morning of having a message by our dear brother Hugo. And for those who do not know, he taught many years at Culver City Bible School down in Southern California. The man has a tremendous knowledge of theology and the Word of God, but he's able to put it by the Holy Spirit in a way that all of us can understand, and we're always blessed. By your message, we thank you 
uh, for coming today. And Taylor will be our soloist, and she's got a great song for us also. At this time, before we continue with the meeting, we'll ask our brother Matt Hugan to come up and open the meeting in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank you and we praise you, Lord. We thank you, Father, that you have brought us all here this morning, Lord, and we just pray, Father, that you would just bless us with a wonderful word from our brother Hugo, that you would just hide him behind the cross, Lord, and just speak to us, that you would open our hearts and our minds, Lord, to get the message that you want us to have, Father. And we pray, Lord, for um, any here today that don't know you, Lord, that they would uh, have their hearts uh, open today to see you as Lord and Savior and give their lives to you. We pray also for the song, Lord, that you would just bless us with the music from Taylor. Lord God, we just pray as we uh, sang in the song as well that we would just keep our eyes focused on you each and every day, each and every moment, just to walk with you, Lord, and have a closer walk. We thank you, Lord, and praise you and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Just like to announce today, uh, Brad's mother, Dorothy Dahl, went home to be with the Lord this past week, and her funeral is going to be held next Saturday at 12 o'clock noon at Garden Chapel in South San Francisco at 885 El Camino Real. The internment will take place right afterwards at Cypress Lawn Cemetery, which is about a half a mile from there, and there'll be some refreshments there as well. Dear Brother Brad and Sherry and the family, our condolences to you. But what a, what a privilege to know that she's with the Lord. If we lose a loved one that doesn't know Christ, the sorrow goes deep. It hits us hard. But when we know that person is saved and we're going to see them again in glory, it gives us the joy and anticipation. It still hurts, especially when it's a loved one. And you never know how hard it is until you face it yourself when you lose someone like a mother or a father that's very close. So we pray for you, we pray for the Dahl family, and we ask that the Lord will richly bless them. Also, because of that, we won't have any Friday meetings, no Friday groups. Unfortunately, the ice cream social will have to get pushed, but we'll continue that probably for the next month. For the rest of the week, though, there'll be a men's dinner tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. So be come, come early, men, at 7. And then at 7.30, there'll be the women's Bible study. And on Wednesday night, the worship team will practice at 6 o'clock since choir is still off. And then at 7.30, we'll have our sing-along time and our Bible study in Ephesians, starting with Ephesians 2 and verse 8. So be reading ahead for that. Adel will bring us the message. We're glad he's back, and he'll be bringing us the word. Thursday, there'll be the women's study at 10 o'clock in the morning, and then the men's luncheon afterwards as well. At this time now, we're going to call upon Taylor. She's going to sing a song for us, and then following that, we'll have the message by our dear brother Hugo.
Good morning, everybody. It's a great day to worship God, as is every other day. I'd like to read from the scriptures this morning, from the book of Job, chapter 1, verses 13 through 22, reading from the New American Standard Bible. Verse 13 of chapter 1. Now it happened. There's a lot of happenings in life. And here is a happening in the life of Job. Not a very comfortable happening, but a happening. Now it happened on the day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, that a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them, and the Sabaeans attacked and took them. They also slew the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consume them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking also, another came and said, the Chaldeans formed three bands and made a raid on the camels and took them and slew the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, Another also came and said, Your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they died. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and he fell to the ground and worshiped. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. May we just bow for a moment and Ask God to bless us as we think of 
this situation. Father in heaven, we thank you for the book of Job. Pray, Father, that you would uh, help us to go beyond the mere printed page. But, uh, Father, we pray that you would uh, teach us something from this book. Bless us, dear Father in heaven, for we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. I am going to remember January 11th, 1990, for a long time. And I don't think I'll ever be the same as I was before that night. Kathleen was recovering very well from surgery for lung cancer at the UCLA Medical Center. And I went to bed that night grateful for the good rate of recovery that she seemed to be undergoing. My son-in-law, Mike, a doctor, was on call that night when the phone rang at about 11.30. And he got up quickly to rush to the hospital. One of his patients had just had a cardiac arrest. And I want to confess something about that call, something that tells me that I was not really in touch with the world of pain. When my son-in-law left the house for the hospital, I personally did not feel any pain. I didn't feel a great deal of empathy either. I didn't get out of bed and on my knees and pray for this stranger and the family. Now, I don't believe that I'm a callous person. My practice is that when an ambulance goes by, I stop what I'm doing and pray for whoever's in that ambulance and the family that's affected. When there's an earthquake or an airplane crash or other disaster, my practice is to stop and pray and ask for God's mercy and grace. That night, for some reason, I don't know why, the reality of that person's pain did not strike me. It strikes me now. But it did not strike me at that time. At any rate, an hour or so after my son-in-law had left for the hospital, we got another phone call at about 1.30. When a neurologist called from the UCLA Medical Center and announced that Kathleen had had a stroke, a major stroke, how is she? Well, we can't tell. It's too early. Is the stroke life-threatening? Well, we don't know. We have to wait and see. The next 72 hours are critical. And at this point, I was a little bit exasperated, and I said, you know, I don't know very much about strokes. Tell me what I need to know. Well, he said a few words. I still wasn't uh, up to snuff on what I was supposed to know, and therefore, I didn't know what questions to ask. But in a world of pain, there are always questions. Questions that always seem to begin with that uh, three-letter word, why? Why? On Friday, January 19th, I climbed into the front end of the ambulance that would take us from UCLA Medical Center to the Los Angeles airport to the flight home to Walnut Creek and John Muir Hospital. And while Kathleen's vital signs were being taken in the back of the ambulance, the driver engaged me in some small talk. Who was going to win the Super Bowl in New Orleans? This lasted for a few minutes, and then the driver turned to me and said, you're a minister, aren't you? And I said, yes. And the driver continued, you know, I've been wanting 
to ask a, question, a minister a question for a very long time. When he said that, I felt myself tensing up a little bit, wondering what kind of question is he going to ask? Is he going to ask about uh, the issue of abortion? Is he going to ask uh, about evolution? About the existence of God, etc., etc. I just felt a little knot in my stomach. But after a short while of internal debate, I reverted to my expected role and said, well, please go ahead and ask me what you have in mind. He said, you know, there's a lot of trouble in our world these days. And do you think it was fair what happened to your wife? Why did this happen to her? And there was that question again, why? Why do you think it happened to her? So why, Mr. Minister, did this happen? Especially to a minister's wife. They're supposed to be immune, aren't they? Huh. Don't believe it. Well, the book of Job challenges me every time I think of it. I don't know whether the Lord was preparing me for something when he allowed me to teach the book of Job for some 11 years at the Bible school. It was my most challenging class that I taught. A month after we left Culver City to come back to the Bay Area and to be a full-time worker at Valley Church in Moraga, I was asked to speak on the book of Job to two world literature classes at Camp Olendo High School. And then for the next three years, to teach and speak on the same subject, the book of Job, to three world literature classes. And the book of Job has challenged me as a husband whose wife has had a serious illness, cancer, followed by a major stroke. I was challenged as a father has observed his children struggle. And tears are never very far from me as I think of the death of my daughter. The book of Job has challenged me as a grandfather who has a grandson who appears to have some neurological impairment. And it has challenged me as a minister of the gospel in the years since returning from the Bible school and being at the church office just about every day, I've literally seen dozens and dozens of people come to my office and share with me their pain. We live in a painful world. And I'm so glad that we've got a book like the book of Job to come to and read and to hear what God would say to us through the life and experience of this dear man. The magnitude of Job's losses are beyond anything I can possibly imagine. I used to say I can't imagine losing one of my children. And then when I lost one and I thought of Job, he lost 10. Can you imagine? The enormity of losing 10 of your children, besides a lot of other stuff. And I call it stuff. It's the children. Well, in this introductory study of the book of Job, I would like to discuss a few of the approaches people have used in their study of this book. And then I'd like to try to understand what are some of the lessons that we might learn as we think of this particular book. And then the last thing I'd like to do is take a quick look at the book of James, just a couple of verses there, for one last reason of why it may be important for you and for me to continue study the book of Job. 
There are, of course, many ways to study a book. One way is to be a critic. And by this I mean we can analyze the literary structure of the book. That's going to really be a big blessing to you, you know. <laughs> I, I looked in my Bible at the one-page introduction that's there. Uh, who is the author? Don't know. When was it written? Don't know. Is it the oldest book in the Bible? Don't know. We can look critically at some of the theological issues that this book raises. We notice that there are some words in the book of Job that still today we don't know what the proper translation is. So we can discuss it critically. We can discuss whether the book is an actual story of a man called Job or whether it's a parable. Ezekiel chapter 14 and James chapter 5 answer that question for me. Job was a man of flesh and blood just like I am and just like you are. We can look at the book of Job from the viewpoint of a fellow traveler. And by this I mean, if we have ever suffered, we know by experience what pain is. Whether that pain is really physical pain or whether it's psychic pain. And by psychic pain I mean mental pain, inner pain, pain of the soul, pain of the spirit, things like that. A fellow traveler will understand something of Job's pain and thereby, thereby understand something of what the book is talking about. And this, is, of course, is the way that I want to look at the book of Job. It's to see a man stripped, totally stripped, stripped of his possessions, and stripped of his family, totally reduced to nothing. How we approach the book of Job would seem to be cut and dried. But I ask myself these questions anyway because I want to ask myself some questions. What is most helpful to a cancer victim? To analyze the person and see why he didn't take good care of himself, herself? Or attempt in some compassionate way to speak to that person's soul? What is the greatest problem of an AIDS victim? Is it having the disease or is it experiencing the rejection that goes along with it? About 15 years ago, I was asked to go and see an AIDS victim who had been brought home to die. He was lying on a hospital bed in the living room and in a very deep coma. I took his limp hand into mine, a sweaty hand, and whether he could hear me or not, I don't know. But I spoke to him about a Savior's love. And the forgiveness that was available to him. He died the next day. But in that group that was there was his lover, was his companion. And he wrote me a card a few days later and thanked me for the words that I said to his partner. And then the time came a few months later when he too became, came to the point where he was gonna die. And he asked if I would take his funeral. Don't know what happened there, but we trust in the grace of God 
and the compassion of God for people like that who are brought down, stripped of everything. I've been in my lifetime a critic far too long. And my prayer is that I will be more and more a fellow traveler and an empathetic person. I was preaching on empathy and compassion one time when somebody challenged me about it and said that uh, we cannot possibly be empathetic to another. And I wasn't quite sure how to respond to him until finally, at last, the book of Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 3 uh, came to mind where it says, remember those in prison as if you were a fellow prisoner and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. And I understood that the definition of empathy is the entering into another's hell. And how do you do that? If a fellow prisoner seek to enter into what a fellow prisoner would be like. And this message is kind of a challenge to all of us, to our fellow travelers in this world, fellow travelers who have a difficult time. Well, the second thing I want to look at the book of Job is, what can we learn from this book of Job? Well, studying the book of Job helps us to understand a little bit more clearly who God is. And the book of Job presents us at, with at least three views or three perspectives of God. And the first view is the perspective of Job's three friends. And they see God as a kind of policeman God. If a person is suffering the conclusion is that God somehow caused the pain as a kind of punishment for an unconfessed sin. And Job's comforters challenged him in that manner. Probably not a very helpful view. God is not that kind of God who waits in heaven just waiting for you to make a slip up and then zap. He's not that kind of a God. John chapter 9 in the New Testament, along with the book of Job, gives us other reasons why a person may have experienced an illness, a tragedy of some sort. You remember that the person in John chapter 9 it was said of him that he was made blind in order that the works of God might be displayed. Another view of God given us is by the accuser, Satan, who views God as a manipulative God, a God who bribes people, God who somehow buys loyalty from his subjects by giving them good things. This idea is embodied in, and I have to call it this for what it is, it's a sneer of the devil. When he says, does Job fear God for nothing? Uh -huh. The implication is, in the question is that Job fears God because of what he gets from God because God has given him so much. But if that were taken away, Job would curse God to his face. Job was good for what he gets out of God. And again, the text, as we read it, shatters the accuser's clever charge. Job tragically loses everything and does not only not curse God, but rather 
worships him. Job loved God for God himself. Can a person go to church just for God himself? Even when the church may be boring, can you still go there for God and God alone? Can you go to church when it's raining and still go to and still feel like you're going there for God and God alone? Or if you have 49ers uh, tickets giving you two free tickets to go to a game, what about that? Can you go to church for God and God alone or, or, or what? Job answers yes. One can go for God and God alone. The third view of God is that of Job himself. Job viewed God as a God of relationship. He was a God to whom he prayed. You don't, just don't pray to something. I recall being in the United Nations building and going into their little chapel. If you've ever been in the little chapel, you'll know what I'm talking about. It's a small chapel, and it has a table about this size here at the front, and in back of the table was a stone and a bluish light shining on the stone. I wasn't very much blessed going into that chapel, but I prayed to God anyway, because I knew that he could hear me. But I wondered about the many people that go into that chapel and see this stone. Job viewed God as a God of relationship, and I can't imagine having a relationship with a stone. He was a God to whom he worshipped. He is a God to whom he related everything in life. And the text, again, beautifully supports the idea of Job as it shows us the agony of Job, who perceives as his greatest loss a, kind, a loss of relationship that he once enjoyed. And we read, of course, in one of the chapters where Job curses the day that he was born. And he comes to that point because he feels a loss of relationship with his God. And so I say to you, nurture your relationship with the Lord. Nurture it. We nurture it by Bible study. We nurture it by prayer. We nurture it by coming to a meeting like this and other meetings. We nurture. What is your view of God? Policeman, a manipulator, or a God of relationship? If you know Jesus as Lord, if you know Jesus as Savior, you do know God as a God of relationship. And it's so wonderful to know that. And another reason for studying the book of Job is to understand something of ourselves. Whether we are the person in pain or whether we are in the role of comforter, we learn what a person in pain needs. And we also learn what he doesn't want. I didn't particularly care for that driver of the ambulance uh, questioning me. But thank God that I know my Lord. And, and you're able to, to respond in some fashion. I trust that as we study this particular area, and you study it for yourselves, that God will help you with your bedside manner. Now, the book of Job teaches us a good bedside manner. We're not, just don't have time to uh, cover that today, but uh, in chapters four and five, three, four and five. 
Another thing that the book of Job teaches us is that we don't really understand everything. That our knowledge is limited. We just don't understand everything. We come face to face with the fact that, uh, well, we just have to say, well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And we repeat it again and again. And we learn that everything in life is tentative. It's conditional. It's temporary. We hold on to very few things in this life. Physical life is temporary. Knowledge is temporary. A science book that is a few years old will tell you that as they revise it. I have a friend who is the professor of rhetoric in one of the colleges. And she has written a book on critical thinking. The book is now in its sixth edition, sixth writing. It's a good book. Uh, I, I like it. But uh, tentative, knowledge is tentative. Our good health is tentative, it's temporary. And many of our relationships are temporary. Marriage in our day is temporary, it seems, when even for Christians, divorce is a, at the rate of at least 50%. Our jobs are temporary, as so many know in, in our day and age, where the unemployment rate is uh, between 14 and 18%. When we study the book of Job, we realize that we have presented is not a touched-up portrait of how a tested person ought to act, but rather a very candid shot of a person who has experienced a hard life. In closing, I'd like for you to look at uh, the book of James, chapter 5, and verses 7 to 11. And I'd like to read those. If you've gone through a difficult time, verse 7 begins, Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until he gets the early and late rains. You too, be patient. Be like that farmer. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord, we count those blessed who endured. And you have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. In verses 7 to 10, the plea for patience, we have a plea for patience, and then several examples of patience. And the word patience, and the idea of patience there, it means to wait. It means being willing to wait for something to happen rather than trying to force the issue. But I want you to notice particularly verse 11. We count those, you, you have heard of the endurance of Job, and it's that word endurance that I want to give you the Greek word for that. It's different than the idea of patience as we have it in verse 10. The word for patience there is hupomone. And it speaks of a person who is persevering in the most difficult of situations. You're not just putting up with something, you know, I can, I can take it or leave it. You know, it's not that kind of thing. You're, you're persevering in a 
the most difficult of situations. You could call it, you could use the word persevere. Now, I'm reminded of the word persevere every day because I have in my study, and I brought it with me, this, this little this little arrow, a friend of mine gave that to me, well, made it for me. When I came back to Valley Church in Moraga, he said, you're going to need to be persevering every day. I said, oh, thanks. And sure enough, every day I see this. This is right in the middle of my study. And I see, see that word persevere. Don't give up. Even in the most difficult of circumstances, persevere. Carry on. Persevere. And you notice this, there's a direction here. Persevere in the direction that God is taking you. Stay with it. Stick with it. You feel cheated in life sometimes? Persevere. You feel it's not fair? Persevere. You've been praying for a family member? Persevere. You've got some problems yourself? Persevere. And you can add a whole lot to that yourself. But the word is persevere. Well, may the Lord bless you as perhaps you may think further of this book of Job. It's uh, been one of the more challenging books in my life, the book of Job. And I trust that uh, this little introduction today will have been a spur for you to further study the book of Job. May we pray again together. Father God, how great you are. How exalted is your name. Great is your faithfulness. New every morning. Lord, we just are, uh, can hardly find the words to express our appreciation for who you are and for what you have done for us. Bless us, our Father, as we leave this place. We have come in your name, and we leave in your name. And we again say, Lord, thank you. We love you, Lord, and we lift up our hearts to you as we separate. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.